right, welcome to the No Red Cards podcast episode one. Dang, Manny, full circle, coming all around, man. You know, I'm excited. Um, my man right here, Manny B. Uh, my name is Roger Sosa, and uh, we're excited about this show. Yes, episode one of uh, content we came up with just having a couple beers at at a, at a bar not too long ago, and I think a concept that was long overdue, you know, long overdue for, especially for the DFW or in the U.S., you know, period, who parents, friends, coaches who just need a platform to understand and be knowledgeable about youth soccer in, in the U.S., you know, which there's not one here in Dallas Forward that I know of, and it's, it's actually, we're excited to, to have this platform for you guys. Yeah, and, you know, and just so you know, Manny, you know, he's a soccer dad here in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth. His son plays uh, select soccer, and so does his granddaughter. You know, and I'm in the soccer space just a little bit uh, here in, in the market. Just you a know. little bit, huh? <laughs> Just a little <laughs> bit, you know, and hopefully here, you know, across the nation, I've made some friends, you know, with coaches and whatnot, you know. Like you said, it was just an idea of us, a couple of guys having beers and at a bar and just said, why don't we do a podcast about what? Let's give these coaches a platform because everybody knows these coaches. Some of them as, you know, assholes, as cocky, arrogant, yeah. whatnot, right? You know, so, but I've gotten to know a lot of these coaches on a personal level and a lot of these dudes are cool. Most of the dudes are cool. It's just what a lot of people don't understand is these guys go with their game face to the pitch, you know, ready to win, ready to just kick some ass. And sometimes the perception people, you know, puts them the wrong way. And, you know, Manny, uh, back in the day, we know each other uh, from more than 25 years plus. Uh, he actually got me going in my radio career, and it's a full circle. Uh, now we come together to do this podcast. You know, he's in the soccer world because of his son and his granddaughter, and he sees the politics behind what's going on and whatnot. So here we are, and I'm excited, man. You know why I'm excited? I I'm excited because when we talked about this, I told you. I have the first guest. I know I have the first guest, you know, and I know he's going to be down. I mean, this guy is known, you know, across the nation, not just here in North Texas, you know, because he has built some amazing teams. Uh, he has a great track record, but he's also one of those coaches that I just mentioned. You know, he's cocky. He's arrogant. You know, he talks a lot of shit. He doesn't hold his tongue back. And I was like, we got to start the show off, you know, so I got to give it up. Thank you for your time, sir, uh, for making time to be part of episode one. None other than Mr. Dallas Texans himself, Kevin Salazar. No, thank you so much for having me, uh, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm super excited being, about being the first uh, person on the podcast. Hopefully that doesn't start any drama in North Texas, because last time you gave me a, a coin, the first coin for next gen, and some people got really upset. So, you know, there's only room for one for no, one number one. So, Kevin, sorry. Kevin, really quick, talk to talk to us a little about your background, how you got yeah. into so playing soccer, how football, I got into you know? soccer, man. It's it's been my whole life. You know, well, is it soccer is it football? We so well, start off with that, right? Yeah, we're in America, so we'll say <laughs> soccer. soccer here. Right. You know, if it was a Spanish podcast, we go football, but right. we'll say soccer for now. But man, it, it's it was in my blood, man. Since I was born, my brother played, and my dad, you know, was coaching around, and so ever since I was little, four years old, my brother joined the Dallas Texans and played, you know, for Marcio and with Hassan. So I was out there just being a little kid, kicking the ball. And then as time went on, back then there was an academy and all that. So you'd play rec until select. 
Then I, you know, I joined the Texans with Hassan and, you know, stood, stood through the Texans my whole playing career and then went to uh, SMU. And then from there, I started uh, coaching. Um, my brother uh, was one of the owners of Soul Roll. He used to have 4v4 fields and pick up in, in Dallas. It was the number one spot. So, you know, I was always around it. So since I was 12, 13, I was refing. I was working concessions. I was building schedules. I was running leagues, doing it all since I was, you know, 13, 14. And then from there, man, I went to college. And that's kind of when I, you know, went full hardcore. In my sophomore year, I opened attack soccer, uh, which was, you know, my my gym, my training gym. Um, my first student was uh, Madison Haley, which is Charles Haley's daughter. She's currently playing pro in Australia. She won two national championships with Stanford. And at that time, she was 15, and she was on the U18 women's national team. Um, so that kind of started it for me. So she was my first one. I got a call from Emmett Smith soon thereafter. And Emmett was like, man, nobody's offering my daughter. He goes, you've got one job. you got six months. You, I, I want all the schools that haven't offered her, you know, to regret it. And, you know, we went to work, right? And in six months, Reagan busted her butt every day at Green Hill. We trained. She made the, the youth women's national team, and she got a, a, a full ride to Texas A&M. Her first year, she won the SEC championship. Of course, she scored in the, in the in that I believe it was in the final or semifinal against Florida, her dad's alma mater. Okay. So that was a cool story. Wow. So from there, I started, you know, kind of getting more little kids and building teams, and we went to Disney, started winning. And then from there, you know, they started getting older, and then I started hitting the select and kind of rejoined with my former club Texans at that time and just been going on, you know, now, I guess now it's been 10 years where it's been full on coaching. So you, know? you talk about Charles Haley, for those of y'all don't know on the football side, you're talking about two Super Bowl champions, two Hall of Famers. Yes, two Hall of Famers. Yes, Char Hall Charles had five Super Bowls and I believe Emmett had three. So eight Super Bowls between two guys. So you spending time with their kids, I mean, did any of that mentality any talks that you had with them, like oh. rub off on you, like motivate you as far as a coach, what you do now? A hundred percent. I say both Emmett and Charles have played a big influence in my life because Charles is intense. Right. Charles is about winning. Yes. Charles is a winner. Charles doesn't take no shortcuts. Charles, when he would be at my training sessions with his kids, would not allow his kids to take shortcuts, you know? Charles would actually come and train my kids, right? The 2010 team that won Dallas Cup, he did conditioning for them, had that conversation with them about, you know, it's up to you. And I love what he told them. He said, you know, it's not your dad. It's not your mom. You know, don't be looking out at the games at them because a lot of kids look at their parents, right? Like, if they make one bad pass, it's like, it's, it's up to you. Parents ain't going to be holding your hand, right? He wasn't able to hold his daughter's hand. And I'd go to watch, you know, I, I, I went to the national championship game, you know, with him when, when his daughter won. He, he's not yelling at his daughter, right? Like, I see a lot of these parents yelling, right? Well, we're going to get into that. He <laughs> lets, he, he's letting the coaches do the, do the job. And so, you know, I learned a lot, you know, from him. And then Emmett as well. Emmett taught me, you know, when you're really good at one thing, you need to work on your weakness, Whatever your weakness is, you need to make it as good as what you're perfect at. And so that mentality helped me coaching a lot because back then, I think when I first started coaching, it was all about I wanted to get goals, 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 goals. And I was going to score as many goals as we could because that was my style. But we'd, I'd always end up losing in big games and big finals, you know. And then I kind of realized it was more about defense. So 
talking with Emmett changed some of my game planning. And ever since then, man, it's I've took it off. So. You, you mentioned your 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 game planning, how it changed, right? With mm-hmm. how that taught you a couple yeah. lessons. For the parents out there, they have these the kids, you know, these youth kids, right? Yeah. Um, they're like, my son's not scoring. Yeah. Or my son's losing the ball, right? Yeah. How do you explain that to them? And is yeah. that is that what the kids should be doing? Like, I mean, it, as a coach, yeah. what is it that you're looking at at the end of the day? Yeah. For these kids. Progression. Seeing progression from them, you know? No kid's going to be perfect. Uh, pros are not perfect. You know, you see pros missing PKs and all that. But it, it's just seeing them continue to progress, right? Like, I have some kids on my team that, you know, at the beginning of the year, I'm very honest with parents. The kid may not play a lot because he's just not there yet. But I've had kids in two months surprise me and, you know, their work ethic and all that was great. And and maybe they're getting more minutes than somebody who's, you know, doing more skills and all that just because their work ethic is, you know, really good. And also, you know, you, you want to see them progressing as far as like when you said making those mistakes, losing the ball, that not continuing to happen in that same situation. Now, it's OK. You're going to lose the ball plenty of times. But are you making the same mistake over and over and over and over game after game? Or is it different mistakes that are going on, which are just part of the learning process? You know, and that's where parents kind of sometimes have to understand that it takes a, it takes a while. You know, it's not just something that in two months you go because you've been doing privates and you've been doing this. Your kids now it's supposed to be a star. Like it just doesn't work like that. Also, there's a lot of ups and downs with confidence. Kids are going to kids are going to go up and down, you know, depending on what's going on at school, depending on what's going on in their home life. There's a lot of factors that go into to that. So what you want to create is a positive environment for the kids to want to go there to learn and to have fun. You know, without that pressure of parents and without those expectations also of those parents being put on them, you know. But, you know, staying on that is you talk about private training. Yeah. Do you with your teams, because I know I hear you talk a lot of, you know, parents. The kids that don't get a lot of minutes, right? Yeah. Don't get a lot of playing time. Um, you, You have to. They don't. They don't get the playing time, right? Yeah. But what are they doing? Because I believe as a parent, because I've done it myself with my daughter. Yeah. You got to give those extra touches. 100%. You got to give those because the average, you're, work, you, you know, you're practicing twice a week, right? Yeah. And the other two days, you got to keep them busy. Yeah. Or the three days. Yeah. You know, because you can't just expect, okay, here's my fee yeah. to pay automatically your son or daughter because this is competitive select soccer yeah you know what i like to say this isn't disney right yeah not everybody plays this isn't recreational yeah you got to earn your minutes you got to earn your spot so their parents have to make the investment as well on their kid because that's a 3500 3700 investment yeah so yes unfortunately you got to continue to pay but yeah i mean do you agree with that of parents having to Make, put that time in? I, I 100%. You know, uh, if, if you want to have, if you want to succeed, you have to put in those hours. You know, me growing up, you know, I had two trainers. I had Joe Lawson and I had Joel who no longer are with us, but they would train out of Inwood. And if I wasn't training with, you know, Hassan or, uh, you know, Roderick, whoever my coach was at the Texans at the time, 
I was at inward training. Like right. there was no, you know, almost days off right. because there's always somebody out there working just as hard. Yeah. You know, that just because right now, you know, you're good at 11 or 12, man, there's other kids that are just working as hard, you know, that they'll catch up if you're not putting in that, that time, you know? And I see it a lot because, you know, when, when I first started, I coached little kids and there's a lot of little kids that at six, seven, eight years old were the, the best. And their parents were like, all right, my kid's the best. And then they start showing up to half the practices, you know, not putting in the time. Then there's a kid who might have not been that good, maybe on the bench. That kid's showing up four days a week. He's doing extra stuff. He's doing. And in a year, that kid's already caught up to that kid that was the best, you know. And then puberty hits. And then that's like a reset button for a little bit, you know. You see that a lot? I see it a lot. Because here on the big field, you know, if you're big and strong, you're going to have success. Now, once you get to the older ages, you got to be technical, you know. Like when I went to see the Barcelona 17, it, the, I could see like our 2011s, 12s. There's a lot of kids here who could be on that team on the 2011, 2012s. But by the time I got to 07, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter about size or speed. It was about that relationship with that soccer ball yeah. and how good you can be with that ball at your feet. You, you mentioned Barcelona right there. Yeah. Talk to us about the difference that you've seen. Yeah. And uh, which kids you actually took to, to, to overseas to yeah. train. Talk to us about the difference in play compared to yeah. European soccer and here yeah. in the U.S. So I got to go actually two, two three months ago uh, with some of the best coaches uh, in, in the United States, you know, um, to a little coaching seminar or whatever at La Masia in, in Barcelona. And, man, the, the culture, um, everything over there is just so different, you know. They literally live, breathe soccer and – when you go to the games, it, it was a very, uh, very different experience than what you see here because over the, you know, here you'll have two VO cameras. you got every parent with their phone up ready to record that one little highlight to post on social media, all that. Over there, you didn't see that, you know, and I speak Spanish, so I'm trying to hear what the parents are saying and not one person was talking about the game. They let the coaches coach the kids. That's not their job. And that was that was really good to see because you also see it. The kids are not looking at the parents. I didn't see one kid look over to the side. Where here you go to a game in America, maybe fifty percent of the kids are looking over the sideline and yeah, they make they a, do mistake. a mistake or some good you know what I mean? Dad, yeah. That mom and dad approval. <laughs> so that was that was you know that was very different. You know, um, it, the kids too, the way they were, they were like little. I don't want to say little pros, but little adults, the way they carry themselves, they're walking around with their little cleats, you know, they have their running shoes. Uh, so they're not walking in the concrete with the cleats, you know, just, but also the way the Barcelona is the values they instill in you. You say hi to everybody. Every kid there was super friendly. Like, I mean, and some of these guys are, you know, some of these 07s, you know, and 08s here in a few years are going to be the next Pedri's and, you know, out there playing champions leagues and all that. And, they're installing and the it's brain, just but... so cool. Damn seeing the culture and how they are and you know how nice and and how they welcomed all of us and it was it just it was a it was a really cool experience to see how did the kids take it take all that your kids well we didn't take our kids oh so, just for coaches. so we just went you. for coaches yeah gotcha. so we went to deportivo um uh which is the other club there and then we went to uh, barcelona so after seeing that experience at what did that do for you coming back to you for your I, kids i loved it because I could relate 
you know, with certain things. Like when when it talked about, like Deportivo was talking about, you know, that um, they're not going to get all the best kids in Barcelona, right? Because the best kids are going to go to Barca. They are a more hardworking, you know, blue collar like group. Like they're going to work on pressing. They're going to have their defensive shape really good. Where like you go to Barcelona and it was all we keep the ball. It's like a crime to lose the ball. Where this team, it was like, it's okay. We don't need to have the ball. We're actually more dangerous when we don't have the ball. So seeing the different philosophies and hearing the coaches say, there's not just one way. Because here in America, I feel like we're starting to get to a point where you watch a lot of, you know, the MLS clubs, and they all play the same way. You you watch Houston, Austin, SC Dallas, very similar. You know, where over there, it was a little bit different. The styles, you know, you see the styles, and it's okay, like they said, it's okay to have different styles, you know. You don't see Real Madrid having the same style as Barcelona, and a lot of it has to do with the culture and what the club and the what they're trying to represent, right? So I feel like I related to that because, you know, when people ask me why have I been with Texans for so long, and it's because it was like that since I was a little kid, was like the shirt that I was like more than solar, more than what FC Dallas at the time was inner. You know, that's the shirt I related to. It's like I'd go to games, watch my brother, you know, the the passion, Hassan, you know, my you know, Hassan was my coach and my current boss. He played in the nineteen seventy eight World Cup, all this, you know, uh, just everything, the values, how it's a family, you know, the coaches, the coaching staff we have. Like, the guys I work with, Clint Kraft's been there 30 years. Son, 30 years. Ahmed, probably 30 years. Roderick Scott, 20 years. Like, you go to Marcio, 20, 30 years. Like, you go down the line, all the coaches are primarily the same guys that were there when I was a kid. And and there's that loyalty and value and, and family bond that, you know, it's more than just a shirt or a logo, you know? It's, it's literally almost like a way of life. Us, so. so let's let's stay on that topic, man. Um, club, yeah. One of the big clubs comes to you. Here's a check. Yeah. How much? Because and, and I'm we don't have to talk quantities, right? Yeah. You see so much transition, especially right now, happening of coaches. You talk about these Dallas Texans coaches. Coaches yeah. have been there so long, showing loyalty, right? Yeah. And I understand at the end of the day, it is a business. Some of these coaches, this is what they do for a living. We all got to put food on the table, right? 100%. So my question to you is, is there a check big enough that Kevin Salazar will take off those Dallas Texans colors? Let's make it clear out there, everybody. In North Texas, I don't think so. You know, now I'm not going to say no. There's a. Six, seven million dollar check that wants to come my way. <laughs> that boy says six, seven mil. I'm going to have to <laughs> reconsider. But no, nah, you know, honestly, the Texans to me, I, I have a lot of gratitude, you know, uh, at a point in my life when I wanted to go to SMU, Hassan made sure that I got into SMU. My brother went to SMU with Hassan's son. They went to two final fours. As a kid, I was the ball boy every Friday night at SMU games. And so for me, you know, the fact that, you know, he took care of me and everything since I was a kid that he said he was going to do for me. Uh, I remember I also wanted to go to Duke, sent me to go look at Duke. Now, North Carolina was too cold for me. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> and when they were taking me on the tours, nothing but trees, I was like, man, I can't do that. 
I like the city. Um, but you know, for me, that goes a long way. The, the loyalty, um, the fact that he's been in my life for shit, 25 years, I'm 31, you know, probably about 25 years. And the fact that, you know, anything he's told me he's done. And to me, that goes a long, long way. And he was there for you, uh, when you had a life changing moment. Yeah. Right? So, um, Actually, yeah, when, when my dad uh, was right about to die, I, honestly, like two days, my dad was in the hospital and I had actually played the Texans and I played my brother's former coach, Marcio, and I played my coach, Hassan, and that we won the Labor Day final 3-1. And he came to the uh, hospital room with my dad and my dad had a lot of love for Hassan, a lot of love. And, uh, and I remember he told, he told my dad, he's like, look, like, I'm going to make sure I'll take care of him. Like, He's in good hands, like, because him and my dad had a big relationship, but a lot of people don't know, you know, back in the day, a lot of the players that, you know, went pro for Texans, a lot of it my dad helped cover at the time, you know. Uh, back then, the Hispanic community now that that's in soccer, I love seeing it because it's a huge community that you see out here in North Texas. 20 years ago, it wasn't like that. Right. And so a lot of people couldn't afford it, and... Uh, my dad would always help out, you know, and, and and for him, it was about helping, you know, the Latinos, you know, the, the people he saw that, you know, had a oper- or had skills and talent, but just didn't have those resources, you know, and my dad was the man that, you know, he, he would have to tell Hassan, don't tell my wife, he's another, you know, right. for, for this kid, but it was just the way he was. He loved soccer. My dad loved soccer and he loved Hassan because... A lot of these kids, you know, he he Hassan really loved, you know, outside of soccer and made sure that everybody was taken care of. You know, my brother got to go, like I said, you know, to SMU, just fantastic school. Same with me. Taught me a lot, you know. So for me, it's just I'm very grateful, you know, for for that. And no amount of money can, you know, take down that loyalty, you know, because when I come here, I, this is my home for 30 years. I wore that shirt. You know, it means a lot to me, you know, when I wear that shirt. It's more than just money, you know. Yeah, I can respect that, man. Roger and I, you know, both are in our 40s, right? Yeah. So growing up for me, that's that's how I really saw was Texans. There was yeah. only a few clubs you saw here. They were academies or, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. academies, right? There were, it was Texans and a couple others. Yeah. And you don't see that now. You see a lot of clubs now. Yeah. Is, you see, I mean, there's FC Dallas in every corner, right? Yeah. And there's so many clubs now. What is the Texans doing now? I mean, are they really focusing on their academy? Yeah. I mean, what is what is this so, on yes. goal and mission right now? So, yeah. So, we we have two ECNL teams. Um, obviously, right now, with all the leagues, MLS, ECNL, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but we decided to have two ECNLs, which now it looks like everybody's kind of following us. It looks like FC Dallas is pretty much here. And North Texas is going to be the only one just doing the MLS thing. Um, but for us, it, it's, it's continuing – to, to push players overseas, giving giving them opportunities. Actually, one of my 08 goalkeepers, Gabe Rodriguez, his his it's funny because he was his brother was the goalie on my 92 team. Okay. And so his it's funny because in 2008, when he was born, I was playing with his brother. And I end up 10 years later coaching his, you know, coaching this. Yeah. I'd be at the house all the time. So ba- I'd always see the baby and play with the baby. Right. Now I'm coaching baby. <laughs> Well, now the baby's out, and, and uh, they won the, the, the 2018 that I handed to Hassan. They won the um, 
national championship ECNL. Then they went to uh, the Dana Cup. They won right. that in Europe. And so after that, he got an offer in Spain. So he went to Spain. Awesome, yeah, and there's another kid on that team too, Bryce Dimery, who as well got an uh, offer in Spain. So for us, it's just giving those kids, you know, different platforms. What do you tell the parents succeed? that start with Texans, right? Mm-hmm. Example. Uh, I'm not really feeling this. I'm going to go over here now. Yeah. I'm going to go jump over here. Yeah. You know, by the time you know it, these kids are 10, 11 years old, right? And really haven't found yeah. or developed with a certain coach. And they've been bouncing all over the place. What do you tell those parents? Like, you got to stay or how do you know what's the right fit? Man, it's hard. Um, it's hard because I've learned, right? You, you're not going to convince every parent. You're not. You know, you can give parents the world. And they'll still hear something over there and they're going to go, right? I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, if anybody does not want to be here, you don't have to be here. I'm not holding nobody back. You want to go at any time, you can go. Because what I've seen 90% of the time now is that the people that go two, three years, they end up coming back. It's yeah. not going good. And, uh, you know, I think that that's where I actually, I think I got a lot of respect was with, you know, I think when I first came in, everybody was like this cocky guy with the glasses, with the 2010s. And I would go with my 2010s and we won everything. We won Surf Cup, we won EDP Cup, we won Disney International. Then FC Dallas came right before Select and offered everybody free, offered everybody the world. I'll take you to Spain, I'll take you there. Cool. They took my whole team. So I got left with my B team. And my B team at the time was playing silver tournaments. And... I had a lot of kids straight up told me, I don't want to play with that team. They're not going to be good. We want to go with the good kids. And they dipped out. And and it wasn't because of my coaching. It was just because they were offered that their kids were going to go pro and whatever. And so they took the best team. They took a team that I hadn't lost a game with in five years, you know, that I had developed literally all my kids' best friends, you know, people that, you know, were my so-called best friends, you know. Um, that all ended up going and people then were like, yeah, Salazar's finally going to lose. He lost all his players. He, that cocky ass is finally going to get it. Right. Super Copa comes in and, you know, COVID had just happened. And so during that time, shoot, I, I went to work with my team. I had my little attack room. I'd call four kids at a time. Let's go work. Let's go work. Right. And, we would, and so Supercopa came in, and all these good teams came in. St. Louis Gallagher, you know, who actually won it this year. They beat us in the final. Um, a lot of good teams, you know, um, and we ended up winning it. You know, we ended up winning Supercopa, which for my old team, we had lost that 2010. That was their only loss. They had lost to TFA the prior year in, in PKs. So when we won that, it was like, wait a minute. He just took a... A B team won a national championship. Then we go to surf. And I win three divisions, you know, and there was only six boys divisions. That's unheard of. Somebody go win three. So then Dallas Cup comes. And there it is for everybody. Here's the final. The team I had originally built. And the team that, you know, stayed with me through everything. And we won that final 4-0, you know. So 
to me, I'm past that point of trying to tell parents, like, you know, parents are always going to do whatever they want with their kids. Um, my suggestion is if your kid is in an environment where they are growing, where they are happy, you know, where they want to go to soccer, don't mess that up. Let it be. Because I see a lot of people, they're chasing names, league names, either MLS or even me. You know, I'm an ECNL. If I see people chase the ECNL name and, you know, whatever name it is, you're, you're chasing that. But then you're ruining your kid's experience because your kid's not happy. Kid doesn't care about the league. Kid, most of the kids want to play with their friends and they just want to play. Yeah. They just want to play, right? It's the expectations the parents start putting on. And all this that you got now it makes it not fun. Now the kid gets home, you know, in the car, he's not happy. He don't want to go to soccer practice no more. Now he'd rather go, you know, to basketball or whatever after school and middle school. But a lot of kids start phasing out when middle school comes. And, you know, that that's that's part of it, you know. So for me, I just I I try to just tell parents at the beginning of the year, you know, let your kid be, you know, like you're paying me that money, right? So you should trust me, you know? And with my record, right? Showing what I could do with kids. Relax, you know? And I think it's starting to change. I think 10 years ago, it was all very new. A lot of parents here in North Texas didn't have, this was their first go around. They didn't have other kids or cousins who played or, you know, now like you're saying, you have, you know, your kiddo that's playing and all this. It was a different landscape 10 years ago. So this was kind of everybody's first go around. So they didn't really know. I think now parents are getting more educated and they're kind of starting to see, you know, everything that's kind of going on. And Is that really like a lot of people think and assume that if you start off with the Texans or, or Sting or whoever, right, that eventually you have to end up in the pathway of an FC Dallas to, to go yeah. pro or to go in that direction. Is that, yeah. is that factor? No. A hundred percent. No, you know, there's been players from so, I mean, from all different clubs, Texans, solar. I mean, if you look at from the Texans, you know, we had uh, Omar Gonzalez, who was the captain of the national team. We had Clint Dempsey, you know, we've had some really big players, you know, solar has had some big kids too. You know, I think primarily, you know, it kind of just depends on who your coach is and who's developing you, you know, more than anything. Um, Opportunities, there's a lot of different opportunities, right? You can get opportunities from college or from showcases or from, you know, even these Alianza tournaments that go on that these, you know, Hispanic people do that send kids to inner Miami or to Pachuca and all this. There's different pathways, you know? Um, I don't think anybody should be scared. Uh, you know, I, from what I've seen, you know, the MLS club, you know, here in our backyard tries to intimidate kids you know it's like if you don't come now then we're not going to take you in a few years which is not true you know you're always going to take a good player yeah <laughs> you know for sure if the guy can do what he's supposed to do you're going to take him you know what I'm I mean sure. so but I think I think now you know and I think this is what's good about certain things like this podcast that you guys are doing that it's we can bring stuff like this more to the light you know and hear it from people like me. You know, I'm in I'm in the trenches. I'm in ECNL. I also coach little kids leagues. I'm in all the tournaments pretty much. So I'm in everywhere and I see it all. You know, I run my own league. So I see teams that are playing in Arlington that are just as good as some of the teams playing in Classic. 
There's some teams that are playing in classic that when I used to coach ECRL, way better than the teams in ECRL. It's just, there's so many leagues and clubs and things now that, you know, it, it's hard for me to tell you, you know, what's the best path. The, the one thing I can say is if you have a good coach and your kid is developing and your kid is having fun, trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah, I mean, I get it. All right, man. So I'm going <laughs> to, we're going to change the rhythm here a little bit, bro. Let's so one thing that everybody wants to know, yeah. you know, um, I want to know myself. Yeah. The PST. Yeah. Kevin Salazar, Art Sarmiento, yep. which is another yeah. controversial, shit-talking coach, cocky. I mean, I think that's why you guys paired so well together. So, Blueprint. <laughs> so, <laughs> was there a breakup or was there not a breakup? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because uh, everybody, you know, people will call Arthur or they'll call me and they'll, they, they think we're beefing or this and that. And it's like, nah, there was never no breakup, right? Arthur started with me five years ago. He was with Velocity and I was running leagues at A plus D1 and I saw something special in this guy. You know, so did my brother at the time. My brother was helping me and it was like, this guy's going to be good. There's some about him. And at that time, you know, I didn't have the little... I didn't have time no more for the little kids because all my little kids had now gone there. So I wanted to make sure that for me, it wasn't PST is never about money. Like people always ask me, right? Like, why don't you have like a million PSTs? Everybody wants to play for PST. But that, to me, it wasn't ever about that. To me, it was about choosing a small amount of kids and really developing those kids and working with those kids, you know, trying to make them the best players that, that we can. And so Arthur fit that perception or that, that age group perfect. Cause his sons were in those age groups, you know, he's a great coach. So, you know, I kind of mentor Arthur and Arthur starts killing it. You know, he's doing great builds teams, all this. And I'm still there helping whatever he needs. And, and, you know, I think it just got to a point where it, Instead of having him pass players on, because that was one thing. People were, were always gonna were always telling him, Kevin just wants to take your money, or Kevin wants to take your players, and all this. And I never in five years took any of his players or any of that. Because that's what clubs do. But that but but let me stop you right there. Yeah. So PST wasn't a feeder to Dallas Texans. No, well, no, because PST doesn't exist past U10. Right. And eventually I can't force people, you know, even if you're PST right now, it happened when when it happens every year. Honestly, once it goes select, you know, all bets are off. Honestly, the first year select. There's no more loyalties or no more because a lot of it. What age is that? You 11. Okay. Because that's when the SE Dallas start calling and the Solar start calling. Everybody starts trying to sell you the dreams. So parents, you know, a lot of it buy into it or whatever. For me, I had a 2012 team. I had 2011s. I didn't need to take Arthur's teams. Right? But I have my own thing with Texans that I'm not building teams past those ages. So I felt like it got to a point where Arthur no longer needed me. He kind of outgrew those ages. And it was like, look. When it's time for ECNL, 
and your kids want a pathway, here it is, right? You know they're all going to be taken care of. I know all of his, you know, parents and families and, and all that. So there was never a breakup okay. at all, you know. And, and so I'm glad we, we cleared that one up because I, I, I'm so proud of Arthur. And it was more of like, look, bro, I'm so proud of you. You go fly out on your own. You're your own boss. Like, and I've always looked at him as his own boss, you know, even though we had PST and we were building it up and all this. I've always looked at Arthur as his own boss because I feel like he's a really good coach. You so know? for those who don't know, who started PST? I guess. So, so I started PST. So okay. PST was, was mine. How it really started, I'll tell you the real guy who started PST was a guy named Paulo Constanzo. Uh, he coaches for Jesuit. So back when my brother owned um, Sorrel, I was working the back desk. And Paulo had the PST groups. And they were primarily, you know, St. Mark's, you know, St. Rita, all those private school kids what is in PST that area. It used to be precision soccer training. Okay. Okay. So it was it was a different brand. It was blue and white and black. And so I was just helping coach, you know, one time he was like, Hey, I need a coach. You're young. You want to come do this? I was like, sure. So I started helping him out and start building teams. Then I started, you know. His philosophy was just let them play, just like Brazil style, like just let them open play and that's it. Just let them basically scrimmage, which is cool because a lot of those kids, that's that's their goal is not to go pro. A lot of those kids, it was just a fun activity. So it was cool. But I had some of the, you know, other kids that were like, well, we want to take this a little bit more serious. Like, you know, we want to get good training. So I talked to Paulo. I was like, hey, can I do this and that? So he was like, yeah. Go, go for it. And so that's when I started my PST attack. And it was performance soccer training. And I put a tag because that was my gym where I was training those kids. So there was never a conflict of interest with Texans? At that, no. With those, no, at that time, no, because I wasn't Texans. Okay. So th- this was before I was Texans. So then I built my PST attack brand. And then from there, we, you know, it started with the 06s. They went to Classic League, you know. That's where the it. gold... Was born yeah. on so the So let black. me tell you. So so let me tell you because Roger was was a big part of that, and it's funny how all of this, like you guys said, comes full circle. Right. So I'm in college. I'm at SMU, and I can't compete with the Solars and the Texans and the big clubs. FC Dallas. Like I'm just a college kid, right? I got a little indoor spot, but I'm coaching kids, and I'm like, you know what's the best marketing is. I already have the best team, but if I put them in some flashy, <laughs> flashy Liberace jerseys where you show up and that hundred degree sun is hitting those jerseys and it's that gold is hitting everywhere. People are going to stop and look and then they're going to see the product. Then they're going to be like, well, fuck. It's, it's better than what the other clubs are putting out there so you kids go to school so marketing so <laughs> i put the tax soccer dallas logo in the back right and uh and roger was the one who had the first gold foil made those jerseys every kid in dallas wanted to have that jersey they wanted to play for that brand because of those jerseys it was the coolest thing right so then it was like okay i got my little niche there then it was like well i think i can go beat everybody in the nation right and 
Like, well, I'm gonna go do it. I'm literally gonna start going do it. And so I started locally and started whooping everybody here. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna take it. I'm taking nationally. So first it was surf, right? It's like I'm gonna go conquer surf cup. I'm going to Cali. It's Cali's where it's at. The best soccer for boys soccer, in my opinion, is in California. It's where you get all the ballers. So I was like, if I want to say I'm the best, I'm going over there. I'm gonna go to the West Coast and I'm gonna go beat them. And there was a team TFA that I saw in Vegas Cup. They were the real deal. Real deal, man. When I saw these kids play, I was like, ooh, it's going to be tough. That's that's the team. I saw them in Vegas. I said, that's the team. I'm going to see them over there. So I go to surf. And, of course, uh, they put me in the bracket with TFA. The two undefeated teams in the country and Ajax, who at the time was also undefeated at that time. They were Northern California. It was weird how the three best teams ended up in the same bracket that year, right? But I'm going to continue on that a little bit more here in a second. <laughs> so we end up winning Surf Cup. We beat everybody, right? We beat Surf or whatever. And and then that's when it started, right? Because then California was like, that PST team's good. Now we need to go, we need to go beat them, right? So... That's that started the thing. So then they came to Supercopa and they had beat my team in the semifinal. We went to 10 PKs and they beat us. Boom. Right. And so then uh, then we went back to surf and then we go. We, we end up going to surf and they're ranked or we're ranked number one. They're ranked number two in the country at the time. We end up in the same bracket again. Hmm. Like, just make no sense. Then we end up having to play. It's an 8 p.m. game. Semifinals at 8 a.m. Makes no sense, right? Whatever. Um, we we end up beating them in the final 2-1 to win surf. Uh, and then I go to EDP. And I'm like, you know, we're going to call out everybody in the West. Well, I already beat the West Coast. And now I got to go to East Coast. So... But I want to say I'm the best. I gotta. I want to hit up every coast, right? So we go to East Coast. We beat everybody in East Coast. Win the EDP, and it's like, all right, well, we gotta go hit Florida now, right? So here goes. We go down to Florida. Then I told Roger, one thing that that I hate is that all these teams are traveling wherever I'm going. Well, fuck. I love Dallas. I don't want to travel. I want to stay here. So he's like, look, next gen, I'm giving coins to the best teams. Which teams do you think? So I was like, look, TFA, send that shit out there, send this shit here. Um, but when he said, like, one thing that, that Roger said was cocky, that people say that I'm cocky. I don't take it that I'm cocky because I feel like it's a confidence in me. That's right. And it, it's, it's not cocky be one thing I'm saying, I'm going to go whoop your ass and then fucking I don't do it. It's different when you tell somebody, I'm going to whoop your ass and you're going to pay this money to come here and I'm going to whoop your ass. And then it happens. Right. Um, Super Copa came, played TFA, beat them seven, seven, one, seven, zero, seven, one in the quarterfinals or whatever that year. Um, and like I'm saying, I think that's where I got a lot of respect was at first it was like, man, this guy with the gold glasses He's cocky, man. He's on social media fucking talking shit that he's going to come beat us. And Gold beat. Versace glasses. No, they weren't Versace. They're Ditas. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Not not Adidas. D-I-T-A. 
Okay. Okay. You know, and and those Is are that Floyd the Traders Village brand. No, nah. <laughs> those are those those are them Floyd Mayweather brands. So, so and it's funny because sure. I'll tell you what, everybody in the East Coast, props to everybody in the East Coast. Everybody in the East Coast knew what those glasses were. Okay, they were like, oh, you got them Ditas. Anytime when I went to EDP, they were like, you got that swag. A lot of other people just like they're just the gold glasses, right? Uh. And so I, I became a villain, which was okay because at the time I needed to draw attention to myself because everybody was saying, oh, that team, they just steal all these players, which what the fuck am I stealing? Five-year-olds? Right. Like, you know how hard it is to build five-year-olds and then at U11, they're still the best? Like, for six years? Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen, right? right. But people would always say, he steals this, he steals this. Then they stole my whole team. Then I went and conquered every major tournament after they already stole my team that I had developed. Can, can you say it's stealing if people just, if parents just go? I mean, no, yeah. are those parents like chasing medals? I mean, what is it? They're, tra- they're chasing the dream. It's, it's the pro dream, right? And that's one thing I won't ever tell a parent, right? I have kids that have gone pro, that are, are playing pro, but... For me to tell, to have told like Madison Haley 10 years ago, hey, you stick with me, you're going to play pro. Like there's so many things that have to go into that, that factor into that, that anybody is really going to tell you like you're going to go pro at like 11. Man, unless you're like Messi and there was only one of him, right? It's very hard, you know, to, to, but some of these clubs, that's what they do. And that's the business of North Texas, right? It's, I mean, what, I, what's I'm sorry. What what is where's PST at now? Are you still yeah. own that brand? Yeah. Or? So we still have it. So we still have the little kids. So for you know the we have seven teams, we have six teams. We still have the little little brand for PST. Eventually, once they get to U10, then they and they feed into Texans. Or? They feed in. Yeah. Well, basically, so I do the pre academies and I do the ECNL uh, teams. So this year, like for the 11s, I'm coaching both ECNLs. So you know, basically, they, they feed into my ECNL program. So is Arthur still a part of PST, or is, is that the attack FC? So now he's got now? his attack crew, yeah. So he's attack crew FC, yeah. Did, was that How would that make you feel when you saw that it was somewhat similar? No, not at all, because it. I sat with Arthur, and we had this conversation, and it was like, you're either going to jump on board with me and do this, or you're going to build your own brand. And I'm gonna support it. Let's you know, keep rocking, and that's what he did. With him and that brand, does he need to be affiliated at some point to when those kids get old enough for ECNL, ECNL, and all that stuff? Do they? Does he need to have a big brand backing backing him up? It's Small de- clubs, do they need to have a big brand? It just depends what the club's goals and what they're chasing. You know, it's like I tell a lot of my independent, like I get a lot of, I have a lot of friends who coach independently They're like hey what do you think about me making a move to the bigger clubs and this and that and how i really tell them is honestly you know you're like a little little club right and realistically only two or three of your kids are really good enough to play at that next level you don't need a merge because those kids can still play with your club and still come play ecnl you know so like for instance like the rails you know the rails had a really good 2010 team and I love Gabriel. Gabriel is a really good guy. So um, I have two kids of his that are playing ECNL for me. 
but they play classically and stuff with him. And they're they're his players. They're not my players. They're his players, right? If he's got a game, they're not coming to my game, right? And and it was the same thing. He sat down. Do I become part of Texans? Do I stay with Rayos? I have. He's the owner of Rayos. What do I do? What's best for my kids? And you know. And after we sat down and talked about everything that goes into a, a little club joining a major club, like you can still get all the benefits. And for you know, for for me, one thing I don't want to do is mess up my relationship with him, and you know, and go take his kids. That's what I call stealing, right? It's different if you are talking with the coach or if a parent calls you, you know, they want to come to your team, right? And that's different, you know? Um, now, if I would have gone and took Gabriel's kids and been like, all right, you're playing with me, but you now can't play with him, which a lot of people do, that's a different story. You know, for me, it was like, no, nah, you know, that's your coach. Whenever you can, some of my practices, you can play this, but that's how it's going to work, you know? And so I think, with Arthur's in the same boat. It's like, you know, if you want to continue and have your own club, I still have the pathways to open up for your best players. They're always welcome. One thing I'm not going to do, though, is sit there on the phone and call every single one of your players right. and say, well, come here because I have the pathway. Like, it goes in a lot because, and, and, th- and this is where I'm saying, too, is like, yeah, I mean, he has a, a really good, crazy, killer 13s team. But, you know, when when everybody comes in for ECNL and all that, it may be only four or five of those kids that make that team. So there's no point of me going and destroying what he's got going on for four or five kids that he could probably replace in a heartbeat because he's got like three, four, 2013 teams. You know what I mean? So... For, for me, I look at it in that way, too, is that a lot of these coaches, man, spend a lot of time away from their families, you know, are basically out there with other kids more than, you know, your own, you know, like, dude, I, you know, my stepdaughter, I missed her birthday party, you know, missing a quince this weekend and, and all this stuff for my family, you know, because I got to be out at, at the fields with, you know, with my teams. I've been... My oldest played, I mean, all my boys have played soccer growing up, right? I'm older, I'm 40-something now, right? Like I said, I'm But you hear the European, the day, these kids are not playing to play. Yeah. Is, is, is USA got that wrong where these kids have to pay to play? I mean, I, I, know, I know the coaches, it, you know. It's, it's, hard. It's, it's hard because back then, you could go to a, a, a park and train with kids. Now... You can't go to the parks and go train. It costs money, right? To rent the field, it costs money, you know? Like, I grew up in Carrollton where, dude, I could go to any park back in the day and go kick it. Now you can't. Now you can't. It, it, and literally, the fields are gated now. Like, you can't unless you pay the city. And so, a lot of it, you know, the, the pay-to-play, what I see is just, a lot of it just covers costs, you know? Like, as far as, like, what I do with, like, the PST or whatever, like, you can ask any of my coaches. Not one time have I ever taken anything from them. Only thing I ask for is fields. We got to cover the fields. That's it. For PST, that 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 was it. That's all I asked. Everybody just, we got to make sure we have the fields because it's a big expense, you know. You know, we just sold uh, A plus D1. 
But the monthly on that field to keep up a nice field, it's expensive. You know, there's a lot of cost. And so some of that, man, is just, you know, costs that come with it, right? You know, um, and it depends too, because, you know, it depends on what leagues you're playing or who's your coach, right? Because like, for instance, not, not, not to kind of, you know, degrade anybody or whatever, but if you're paying 3,500 to play for me, but then there's somebody else who's paying $3,500 to play in Plano or somebody else. Yeah. The, the number's not adding up there. Right. You know, because with me, at least, I mean, you're going to be training at Ross Stewart or Louisville, one of these nice facilities, big complex, all this. You're playing in the top leagues and you're getting really good coaching. Right. Top of that, at A plus D1, the speed and agility guys I had working with my kids were all the guys working with NFL pro athletes, you know. Right. Because our our facility was owned by Akeem Tlaib and Vaughn Miller. So they had their personal trainers there on salary. So all the kids that were. My kids were working with some of the best trainers. You know what I mean? So when you're paying that money, it's really not that much when you really think about it. Because you go to a private lesson, it's $100, right? You go to one private lesson, it's $100. Well, here, you know, most of these kids that are playing ECNL or whatever with me, you can come three to four days out of the week to train. So, you know, it's up to you, right? Go where you're going to train one, two days a week pay that amount of money and then you got to pay private lessons on top of that or you can go somewhere where also coach is going to give you three four days out of the week to come train now it's worth it right because now you're almost paying like 20 bucks a practice or something yeah. something like that which is not crazy when you look at the the cost of everything you know so earlier you were uh brought up floyd mm-hmm. so you you consider yourself the floyd Med- mayweather stone cold steve austin of youth soccer so I started off the broadcast, you know, being the cocky arrogant. Yeah. So my question to you is, and I'm sure everybody out there wants to know. Yeah. Is the same Kevin Salazar that shows up to the pitch and does all the trash talking on social media, which by the way, you've slowed down a little bit. I've noticed that. Yeah. Are you the same guy I, 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 when you're not in coach mode, like when you're not? Wearing the uh, Dallas Texans? Man, 100% not. If, if anybody who knows me, and it's funny because all these coaches, right, they want to come play me, and then they come, and then they meet me. Man, they're my boys. Ryder, right? Right. Ryder's my boy. Right. right? There's been games, me and Ryder, of course, we're competitive Latinos. Right? We're, right. we're going to say some stuff. Ryder's my boy, you know? Uh, Jonah and uh, what's my other boy? Uh, Greg right. from uh, TFA. Those are my guys, man. We've been in the biggest games against each other, but there's a level of respect that we all have for each other. Now, for me, it was different because primarily I'm the youngest guy still doing it. Like, even though I've been coaching for 10 years, I'm still the the baby of the coaching game. Like, I'm 31, right? And, like, there ain't no other 31s that won six surf cups, that won two Super Copas, that won a Dallas Cup, that won... EDP Cups, Disney Internationals, you know, I think 10 times I've won Disney now at right. this point. Like, those numbers are unheard of for anybody in their 20s. So, for me, when I first started, it was like, kind of like when Floyd was was beginning his career, right? People don't know, he paid 
$750,000 to buy himself out of his contract with Bob Arum because Bob Arum wasn't marketing the way he wanted to be marketed. And he felt that he was a star. But he kept being put behind guys like Oscar De La Hoya and whatever. And he was like, I just want to be myself, put a camera on, have a show where I'm just going to be me. And I know I'm better than all these guys. And I'm going to tell you I'm better than all these guys. But then on top of that, I'm going to post flashy stuff, right? right? Nice cars, going to the nicest restaurants, hanging out with, you know, nicest girls and all this different stuff. Or before next gen, filming a video at your back of your house on the swing with his Ditas calling out every right? team in the country. Calling every team. But then at the end, you post to Conor McGregor, like, <laughs> I want to apologize to nobody, the double champ, right? Holding, taking two jackets. Then it's like, <laughs> that guy's not cocky. You you give that guy a little bit of respect because you're like, fuck. He could have made an ass out of himself, but he did a good job. And the thing is, is that a lot of these coaches, man, they need to wear a certain shirt with a certain badge to be somebody. You put me in whatever shirt. I'll be in my Texan shirt. I'll be in my PST shirt. It don't matter. You give me whatever group of kids. You know what you're going to get. It's going to be a hard game. Now, I'm not going to win every game, right? There's nobody that's perfect. But more chances than not, I'm probably going to win that game. And, and for me, I think now I, it, it's different, too, because as I'm getting older now, I'm 31. I'm not that 20-year-old kid. I'm right? getting older. I'm, I'm 31. <laughs> On top of that, I run leagues, right? On top of that, um, you know... I do so much, man. I, I run tournaments. I'm here. I'm there. I rev. I mean, I'm like any job you can talk about soccer in North Texas, like I'm in it. Right. Like, you know, um, so I also don't want like because like you said, a lot of people look at that social media and then they're like, that's all they know of me. But then you've never really met me. Oh, yeah, for sure. And when you don't and then it's like when people really meet me, it's like, dude, you're the coolest guy. Like I had this lady, you know, that. There was this article that was written about me. She was going to bring her kid to my team. She wrote all this bad stuff, even called Univision, tried to get me, like, fired, all this. And, like, she didn't know me. She just knew me from what people say and what social media portrays, right? Well, thankfully, one of my friends that I grew up with called and was like, you should go to Kevin. You should go try him out. Well, she came, got to meet me. Kid got to meet me. Dude, now the kid's been playing for me for this whole years like one of my best kids like we fucking love each other and we're could next year he's gonna be on my team and he's like one of my stars and it's like she's like you're a whole different person than who i thought like you are like my kid loves you like you're so nice like just not like and and even at the games like you're not out there talking shit to the coaches right because right. people see me lose man you've never seen me be a sore loser i go i shake everybody's hands you know then the day, like I said, people play me in my leagues and all this. We all, I think at, at a point, all the coaches that I'm in the age groups with, we all just want to keep developing these kids and helping North Texas soccer grow, right? And I think whether they play for me or they play for so-and-so or the other guy, as long as us coaches are still doing our job and helping these kids develop, and that's the most important thing because I feel like Dallas has been a very underachieving city, bro. Uh, we haven't won an MLS Cup. We haven't won a college national championship. We have all the best talent here. 
Well, the Hunts are in a different game, right? I mean, they're, their game <laughs> but, is making money, right? But, I mean, they're, yeah, but they're man, I'm telling off. you, Dallas has it. We could be, oh, yeah. we could be big, bigger and better in California in soccer, man. It, I, I think there's some things that still need to get restructured here. And that's why I love that I'm young, right? I'm putting my little influences here, there, you know, where next gen, just see next gen, how next gen's grown, right? It's become almost like the surf cup of the South. You get all the good teams coming down now wanting to come to Dallas, um, which I think is a super cool thing, you know, and with Dallas growing with the World Cup, all this stuff coming here, this is a big hub, you know? And so the guys like myself and Arthur and some of these other guys that you know, we had this next generation coming up. We got to make sure that we keep progressing and helping our city achieve uh, the ultimate goal. And that's for us to be the best city in, in the in the country of soccer. You know, this is No Red Cards podcast episode number one. Number uno. And for those of you guys that just found us or heard this podcast, it's basically a podcast for you guys, parents. Uh, they got uh, kids that are youth. I mean, they got kids that are playing soccer for the, in, the, in the youth uh, academies. Yep, and we appreciate you coming by, Kevin. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, guys. You guys can uh, follow us on all social media platforms: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at No Red Cards, the number ten, and on YouTube at No Red Cards Podcast. And you know, uh, the time. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Uh, like Manny said, we're here. To showcase, show another side yeah. of you guys, yep. to promote what you guys have going on, what you do, because again, it's like they know you. Yeah. You said it. Yeah. They know one side of you. For sure. And it goes to the old cliche. Yeah. Don't judge a book by its cover. 100%. You're doing your job. You know, I'm sure at SMU, you were about marketing. Yeah. And that's oh, what yeah. it is, man. <laughs> it's, it, it's about branding. Yeah. It's worked. You have the hardware to prove it. Yeah. So, you know. And I, my son's a killer too, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know. know. You know, so it's just one of those things, man, that we're here for you guys because you guys do so much. Uh, I, I've been a big uh, supporter of yours, and I know you've supported me in uh, the ventures that I have going on, but appreciate it. And uh, uh, this Manny, was episode one. Kevin, really quick, tell the people that are listening, let them know. Uh, how they can get a hold of the Texans and yeah. if they wanted me to be part of that process with the yeah. Texans. So we actually have tryouts coming out here in May. Um, our our tryout website just got, or our tryouts just got posted to our website or in, in our, our social media. So if anybody wants to come out, my number's on, on that page. I'm going to have uh, five teams next year. So, you know, if anybody's interested, I got 2012s, 2011s, uh, 2008s, and uh, 2010s. Awesome. This is No Red Cards Podcast, Episode 1. Thank you guys for joining us. We will see you on number two.